As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The race is on, and Red Bull is the first of the big teams to launch its 2021 Formula One car. But despite some detail changes, how much is it hiding of the car neutrals hope will take the fight to Mercedes? I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to talk all things Red Bull are Gary Anderson and Scott Mitchell. Well, Gary, this is the fourth launch now. Now, you wanted a simple launch all about the car, so two images... Not a single musical instrument in sight, not a trombone, not a glockenspiel, not a, not a harp, nothing. And no talk from the team, so this should be perfect for you, shouldn't it? Yeah, it's a bit more of a nothing uh, press release, to be honest. You know, it's, Again, two pictures of the car, one a sort of side view and one a, one a front view. Um, again, showing absolutely nothing of the car in detail. I mean, that's the objective for Red Bull. They've, they've gone through the, the years of, of press releases and new cars with camouflage in the car so others couldn't see it and take sort of decent pictures so i suppose this time they're just not not bothered um taking many pictures so they don't have any problem with camouflaging it um you know the bits we do see just so difficult to see any differences so maybe they took a winter off maybe they decided to have a holiday you know who knows um doesn't look like as much on there for me anyway so uh yeah no triangles or symbols or dancing or 
or um, close show. So um, let's see how the car performs. They took your less is more approach a bit too aggressively, didn't they, Gary? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult because, I say, we build up to these things and we want to bring it to the public, to the viewers, to the enthusiasts, to everybody, the fact that, you know, this Red Bull is going to take the championship to, uh, to, to Mercedes or got to take a challenge to Mercedes. And, you know, you, you, can't, you can't actually sort of write it up uh, anything about it because you can't see anything about it. Small details, yes, for sure. Small little things change all the time, but, but that's a constant, more of a, a race-on-race development program rather than a, a, a winter development program. So um, we'll have to see what the real car looks like whenever it really does run because, uh, you know, as I say, these because it's a B version, maybe a lot of these bits are interchangeable and we haven't actually seen the, the, uh, the real 2021 car yet. Yeah, I think we can expect to see quite a bit more because we have seen from some other cars, like the Alpha Tauri, had quite a lot of detail visible on it. So I'm sure there's there's lots to come. Uh, Scott Mitchell, we've already heard from you, but uh, obviously we have actually got a Red Bull on track as we speak with Sergio Perez having his first go. Various different interpretations of what that car was. Can you just clarify exactly what he was driving? <laughs> yeah, uh, Perez is in the RB15, so the 20, 2019 car. I, I guess this is just a little bit of a a head start for him obviously he's been in the simulator and he'll have been doing his homework I remember it was at Albon I think when he was making his debut for Toro Rosso said he'd been given the big handbook from Toro Rosso for, and had basically spent a big chunk of his winter trying to memorize all the steering wheel buttons obviously Perez has a few more years on Albon but <clears throat> he's got to learn the the way Red Bull lays out its steering wheel he's got to work out sort of their their processes he's got to get used to the Honda engine so there's only a certain amount of this that he can sort of He'll get up to like a pretty good level in the sim, won't he? But when you actually get in the in the car on the ground in a live environment, all of these things are just like small things to tick off. So putting him out in the uh, in the RB15 is a good way to sort of uh, give him a little bit of a taster because then when he joins Max Verstappen in shaking down the RB16B, he'll <clears throat> he'll just be able to make better use of his. What will he get if they split it evenly? His 50 kilometers of valuable running in the in the car. So yeah, it's just a little bit of a little bit of a head start i think albon as well um is also going to be driving the rb15 um this week uh alongside the the race drivers driving the 2021 car so they've obviously got a little bit of filming uh filming activity actually using the so-called filming days for filming rather than just for shakedown purposes surely not that's uh that's very controversial uh but there are a few things we can look at in the car i mean gary we we said there wasn't much so what, if anything, did catch your eye? I know your initial comment to me was spot the difference, to which I agreed I, I wasn't winning the spot the difference game. So uh, w- what did you pick out of note that was different? Well, obviously, we can only look at the pictures we've got. Um, the nose uh, and the front wing mounts, again, that's been released with the, the wider nose uh, wing mount solution that the Red Bull ran the majority of last year. But Max Verstappen did run the narrower version um, in Abu Dhabi. So obviously that was a, you know, they changed it quite a lot uh, back and forth to, to try and get on top of the situation. And they were having a bit of a problem with the new one. I think the new one worked better in the wind tunnel, but they weren't quite getting on top of it at the circuit. So again, as a, you know, the chassis, because it's a B version and because of the way the regulations are, the chassis and the nose, uh, as far as the structure is concerned, is, is the same. Small details can change on, the, you know, the, the turning vanes and profiles, the aerodynamic surfaces as such. So I would imagine we might see the car running with the Nara front pillars um, because I'm sure they've, they've tried to get on top of it. And if there is, if it does generate more downforce, then I'm sure they'll go that route. Um, the front wing 
concept is, is still the same as before. You know, even the detail, as far as I can see, is still the same as before. They use the outboard end as much or probably more than any other team. You know, we, we look at Mercedes and say they, they uh, load the outboard end of their front wing more than Ferrari, for example, or more than um, McLaren and, and so on. But Red Bull probably load it a bit more than Mercedes even. And as I say, I've always suspected they, do, they try and do something there with steering lock because it's a, it's a pretty powerful area where you can uh, move the front downforce forward, or the downforce forward a bit with more and more steering lock because you're uncovering more and more front wing. Um, so it is a, a fairly powerful area. You've got to be on top of it. And I, again, I said last year, I thought it might be one of those areas where it wasn't helping Red Bull's um, nervousness because obviously if you're moving the center of pressure forward going into a corner, maximum steering lock is usually just coming up to the apex of the corner. Um, and that's when the rear... Is it mo- most nervous? I suppose you might call it. So uh, it's all done to reduce the understeer and the medium and low speed corners that these cars inherently produce. But um, you have to still keep the, the balance in the fast corners. So obviously, fast corners you have less steering lock. A hairpin you have more steering lock. So as a, a tool in your toolbox to alter the aerodynamic characteristics. Um, front brake ducts are a little bit tidier. Uh, again, a lot of teams put a lot of effort into the front brake ducts. Not necessarily for cooling the brakes, but for generating downforce and being as invisible as possible because uh, that area between the inside of the front wheel and the side of the chassis and the gap underneath it, that's basically the mass airflow that the it comes off the trailing edge of the front wing and you want that area to be as open as possible. And the brake ducts are something in there that on their own, uh, they, they block part of that off, but you need cooling for the brakes, so you have to have something. And then some of the little turning vanes that's on the brake ducts um, sort of, I suppose, hide the brake duct a little bit. They don't do away with the brake duct completely, but they, they hide it a little bit. And they've tidied up that area a little bit as well. Um, the, the cape underneath the nose looks very similar. You could say it's moved back a fraction from the old one, but I, I think that's only just because of the, the picture angle. So nothing from there on in jumps out at me as being uh, massively different. Obviously, the floor has got the triangle missing out of it in front of the rear tyres. And again, they seem to have done very little to add any sort of turning vein or whatever. Some of the cars we've seen so far, the McLaren and the Alfa Tori, have a the, the last sort of I don't know twenty centimeters of the floor has a, a turning a turning up lip to stop the airflow from spilling underneath the floor and getting sucked into the diffuser. Um, but as far as I can see in these pictures, uh, Red Bull don't have very much there. So I'm sure we'll see lots of changes. Um, but I think we have to wait till we see what the car looks like when it runs, which uh, I think should be tomorrow, and we might see more definitive uh, um, new car parts on the car by the time it runs on the track. Yeah, there's very, very little of um, sort of concrete definitive additions. I mean, you're, you're, you're looking at really minor things like an extra uh, an, an extra small like element one of the thi- one of the fins in in amongst the mess that are the modern day barge boards doesn't really sound like a lot so they've now gone up from looks like they've gone up from 7 to 8 of these tiny little elements that are like maybe that might be more swept back now but that's difficult to tell from two angles of of photos they've got another one of the little deflectors now in, they've got five instead of four at the on the on on the floor, it's not the actual front of the floor, but the sort of the first visible part of the floor just behind the barge boards. But these are such tiny add-ons. Like it, it's it's 
I think the way Gary described it as being like the sort of thing you might see crop up like during the season, like between a race or, or something like that. Is it's not like a package change or, or anything like this. And I think the the only hints of sort of bigger changes are, are things that we do need more images of to be able to be um, confident. Gary mentioned the cape. I think it's also it does look a little bit like the um the 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 side pod or bottom of the engine cover sort of shapes around a little bit more aggressively and we've seen obviously a step change at the back of the alpha tower as well for the way that's packaged so looks like that might be something that's either that's not necessarily it could be driven by red bull but it could also just be sort of something related to the the latest version of the honda engine and the packaging around that but again we're we're basing that on very very small a small number of images and also it's one of those where it could easily because we don't have a huge amount of images to sort of relay over one another it could easily be an optical illusion because of just the way the 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 signings written on the back of the car and there's one bit of the red ball that is really misleading because they've repositioned the the honda hybrid logo at the back of the end at the back right at the back so that now sits in a different position, which makes it look like if if you just looked at it and you used that sticker as the point, you would uh, your initial reaction would be, oh, the back end of this shape has changed completely, but it's not. They've moved the bloody sticker. So um, these are things that, like, you know, if they have gone with a more if they've gone with more aggressive packaging at the uh, the back of the car, for example, if they have tweaked the profile of the cape, that kind of thing, we're getting into sort of bigger, more fundamental changes there, but it's impossible to say at this point and i think a few people just before the car was revealed uh, a few people noticed that red bull updated their um the the team shop with um some special shakedown merchandise in with this sort of funky diff- special design it's a little bit reminiscent of when they had the the, the camouflage liveries in, in the past so i wonder if the extent of the real car not the car that we've seen renders of is different enough that we were going to see a repeat of one of those camouflage liveries just so they don't quite show everything. I'd be surprised if they went that aggressive because it just doesn't really feel like there is a great deal to change at the moment, but maybe I'll be wrong. I'm just, I really want to see, (laughs) I really want to see either give us a camouflage livery or give us a car that looks dramatically different because it is getting, it's, it's been a slightly underwhelming launch season so far. There is stuff to look at, obviously, but at the same time, when you're looking at like a bunch of B versions, it's just getting a little bit bang your head against a, a brick wall, isn't it? The important thing with the Red Bull, though, is that last season, obviously, they went, as Gary was talking about earlier, they went to the narrow nose, they struggled a bit, and this is all about getting kind of the front of the car, or the nose and the, the front wing to work with the where the cape and the undernose aero to the barge boards, the leading edge of the side, but everything. And the problem they were having was controlling that airflow because they were getting vortices off the cape either side interfering with each other or just falling apart so that was creating stalls and all this sort of thing so the the story for red bull this season ultimately is they they made the big change in concept last year and now it's refining it to get an uncompromised version because they could they could get decent performance in some aspects last year but they had to compromise everything to get a, a bit of a balance and even then it was tricky so it's potentially the case that actually small changes could be quite significant for Red Bull if it's just refining everything. And I always think of it as joining it up because we tend to think of all these bits as modular, don't they? But they all work with each other, as Gary's always uh, explaining. So it's amazing how small changes can sometimes make everything work. And if you can if you can get the high and low speed performance and everything to fit together and work exactly as you want to, then you can unlock huge amounts of performance. Yeah, it, it is the sum of the total, you know, that that um, 
that adds up to giving you your actual performance. You can have you know the best bet in the car in one area, um, but other parts just camouflage that from working. So you need to make sure that everything is working as one and everything is working robustly. The more you stress the surfaces, aerodynamic surfaces, the more critical it is to crosswinds or attitude change or turbulence. And that's an area where you've got to really be careful because, you know, it's all right going out for one lap, nice clean airflow yourself, um, and you can get a performance a performance lap out of the car. But whenever you get stuck behind somebody else or the wind, the wind builds up or changes the direction, you know, you don't want to lose everything. So sometimes a little bit of a compromise is better than, than just having lots and lots of peak downforce. Um, and, and that's what the driver drives. You know, he, he doesn't, or the driver doesn't like to get bitten by the fact that, you know, he arrives at one corner because of the, and because of the wind, you know, he's lost a lot of rear downforce or vice versa. So, you know, consistency in the, in the performance package allows the driver to exploit his true talent. And you, you have to, you have to make sure you, your car is consistent and those vortices aren't falling down under different conditions. So optimizing all those little bits that, uh, as I say, Red Bull seemed to get on top of it by the end of last year, but optimizing all those little bits, now they know probably where the problems were lying. They will maybe be given a little bit more robustness in there to just make sure they, they have a bigger operating window. And a bigger operating window, again, as I say, driver confidence. The driver pushes faster. He gets better lap time out of it. So... Um, it's all the small stuff that adds up to the to the end result. Well, Scott, there's another element of this package we need to talk about, and that's what Gary likes to call the spacer between the uh, the chassis and the gearbox, the the Honda engine. Obviously, you're quite close to Honda in terms of keeping on top of what they're up to. There's not much we can tell from this car beyond the fact that maybe the side pods are a little bit more tightly packaged than last year. Although, again, we're going to need more than two images that we've seen so far. One of them from head-on that doesn't reveal a huge amount to, to be sure of that. So what do we know and what do we expect? Well, that limited amount of uh, photography at the back of the, uh, on the, well, on the side of the car, but at the, at the back of it did at least allow me to tease Honda a little bit because I did send a message to someone just to say, does this, uh, took a photo of what I thought was the sort of slightly tighter shape of the side pod and just said is this uh are we going back to the uh, size zero packaging i remember that phrase absolutely haunted them in the mclaren days it's all driven by just making it oh just as tight as possible at the back of the car and just yeah, honda just had an absolute nightmare with it um yeah basically we're looking at a, an engine that's being described as all new by honda without being um as big a fundamental change as back in 2019 when they um, split the uh, the turbine and the, and the compressor. Um, but it is comfortably the biggest change that Honda has made since then because they've always, since then, the engine that they introduced in 2017 was then, it was in an evolution and the same fundamental concept to 2018, 19 and 20. And then for this year, they're being really, really strict with what they're actually saying about it. Or, all, all I can say is that I know that they have worked to. It, it isn't. It isn't a case of repeating the same thing with with uh, as twenty twenty. They have they have sought extra performance from the the the, the three main the three main areas of so the combustion engine, the turbo, and the energy recovery system. It was on the ERS side that I thought that Honda was more limited last year. Um, I think we had at least two or three prominent examples of Verstappen complaining about clipping during races. It didn't feel like they had they quite had that ERS uh, side completely nailed, and I didn't know whether or not that was um, 
because I know that they had some problems back in 2018 when they partnered with Toro Rosso. They weren't quite getting the calculations right, but that was that was more event-specific. So they would go to a place like Baku, obviously, where you have that huge full full power run through the final sweeps and then down the back straight. And they basically got their calculations wrong for that circuit. So they were getting X far down the straight and running out of um, deployment, basically. Um Last year, it felt a little bit more fundamental than that. It just felt like they didn't have quite as efficient or as punchy an ERS system as Mercedes. And we know that Honda was genuinely surprised by the the the, the scope for improvement that Mercedes had last year. I'd have thought that given what we've seen in this engine era, nobody would be foolish enough to underestimate the amount of progress that Mercedes can make. But that's basically... That that progress Mercedes made last year sort of spurred Honda into a big step for, for this season or what they think will be a big step because... I won't go into the full detail of it because it is um, it's quite a lengthy thing to explain. But basically, they were going to be designing this all-new engine for the new technical rules. And then obviously, as we know, the technical rules got postponed to 2022. So Honda pushed back this engine to 2022. But then they turned up to Austria last year, got hammered by Mercedes and had a conversation internally and said, can we bring this back to 2021? Now, obviously, this was happening at the same time as they were actually deciding to withdraw from F1. But they did decide, no, we can do it for next year. So a lot of effort last year went into putting those timescales back in place so that this would work for 2021. So it is an upgraded, widely upgraded engine. I I think Honda are quite optimistic about it. They say that they're seeing on the dyno the numbers that they expect. They obviously have had to increase their expectations for this engine based on the fact that they got caught out last year underestimating Mercedes. So all the signs point to this being a, a performance step but with a, as big a change as this, which Honda has tended to avoid in the last two or three years, comes a fresh reliability risk. Because by definition, if you've got a lot of stuff that's new, it's untested. And Honda has got better at proving its reliability before it hits the track. But there is still the scope there, I think, for something to get something to be slightly wrong. And the fact that they have, when I spoke to them last year especially, I think the fact that they were so wary of the potential for this to have a reliability setback i think that sort of is another little hint at the scope of the changes as well because they they weren't really going into the winter of 2020 for example 2019 to 2020 they weren't really talking about old oh, reliability setbacks or, or anything like this whereas they were last year so it's interesting um i i'm curious to see what how how it looks in, in testing obviously we're not going to see until the until the first race but this is the final Honda badged engine of this F1 era. And I think it's fair to say they seem to have thrown everything, including the kitchen sink, at it. Gary, you know Honda very well, having worked with them in Formula One. What do you make of their approach? You know, their process is, is different from, from other engine manufacturers. If you take, um, you know, a normal engine manufacturer, basically that's what they're set up to do. Whereas Honda, you know, the, my time with them, it was all about training up their engineers. And Formula One was was... I wouldn't say it's just another challenge, but it is another challenge to to a car manufacturer. So their engineers would would change from you know maybe three months time, six months spells from designing a you know a window winder on a Honda Civic to designing you know something on the Formula One engine. So they they try and balance out the fact that it's used as a big learning curve for engineers, the challenge, and they're all very very competent as long as they're as long as the leadership of it is is good, and I believe the leadership they have right now is is pretty strong, you know they're they're being led in the right direction. There's a lot of people underneath it all that can achieve the the goals 
the big problem is you don't get nothing for nothing. Um, so in, in trying to make everything better, you know, there is a risk of reliability problems stepping in there. And, and that, you know, without doubt, you might be able to win the odd race if you've got a very powerful engine. But unless you can finish every race, the championship goes out the window very quickly. So they need to make sure they're not just exploiting the, uh, the maximum performance to, to look good because the championship is the is the big the big deciding factor for everybody. So reliability is a massive thing now with these engine penalties that you get for you know using too many components basically. Um, and we won't know that, and they won't know that to be honest until they start running a bit. You know, it's all this all this dyno testing and all the the rig simulation, and everything. It never really. It's very good. Some teams have it better than others, but you know you can get so many different oscillations set up in the drive line of a Formula 1 car, the tyre contact packs, all of that stuff can really affect the engine um, dramatically. And you don't know about it until you really get onto the circuit. You can adapt and sort it out, but this year, as we see, this, you know, time is going to be running out, limited testing. So you might get to the first race before you actually know that you've got a, a real reliability problem. And I, I hope that that doesn't happen to Honda because with all the best will in the world, I think that, that, hot, that Red Bull, Honda... And Mercedes, Mercedes is going to be the, the the challenge for the championship. I'm not quite sure that anybody else can really join that club right now. Ferrari are obviously going to try, but I think Ferrari themselves are, know that it's going to be tough. So these are the two teams that basically could alter how the 2021 championship unfolds. And and I just hope that the two of them can do a good job. I want I don't care who wins it. I just want to see competition on the way, and I want to see Mercedes with a little bit more pressure than they've had in the past is to see how they respond to it. And to do that, you know, the Red Bull need to come out of the of the blocks running and running quickly and, you know, good results in those first couple of races just to change the, the pressure on Mercedes because up to now, you know, those first couple of races and suddenly Mercedes have got, you know, 50 points more than the next guy and then they're just about doing it efficiently and doing it correctly. So we need the pressure there because somebody else is there to, to score the big points. Well, that's the thing. Mercedes always seems to be leading the way with Red Bull playing catch-up. And even though we can say Red Bull had a strong finish to the season, well, the last upgrade we saw on the Mercedes was at Spa. What was that, race seven last year of 17? So that's significant. And I think we've all got this sort of feeling of no matter how much progress Red Bull makes, we're just still half expecting them to be out of touch come the, the start of the season. Yeah, it's it's true. I just hope that they have not done too much to the car and they've carried over what they ended the season with because it's, it's very important to start well. But but also they got, you know, Sergio Perez in the car now. I know, you know, we all rate Max Verstappen very, very highly. I think Sergio is a very solid driver. You know, is he quick enough to go out there and win races and beat the other guys? Maybe maybe he needs a little bit of that before he will, maybe he needs a couple of wins before he get the confidence. But what he will bring to the team is quite a lot of years of experience uh, which, to be honest, you know, the best one in the world, Max Verstappen, still hasn't got. He's got a few years of experience, but he hasn't got as many years as Sergio. And also, with what Racing Point did last year, going from their um, high-rake sort of car to a Mercedes clone with the low-rake philosophy, he will get into that team knowing the actual feeling and the changes from developed from the same aerodynamic group of people as to how that car responded. You know, those that group of people would have to sell that change to Sergio last year as well. So he will understand the reasons for those decisions and he'll understand the reasons that, they, they, you know, that the car was better to drive 
but you understand the design reasons behind it as well because that's part of the the sales job you do to a to a driver relative to your new car so he will come to red bull with a lot of depth of knowledge of quite a lot of stuff that red bull have not had in a long time because they've always been pushing this young driver at least in one car uh, an experienced driver in one car and obviously Max has proven that he's he's a, a very competent driver, but he still doesn't have those years of experience, and he doesn't have those years of experience in in a different car concept. It's always been Red Bull, so you know it's been led one direction. Neither be, maybe be able to be, maybe be able to be led in a second direction. I think the first impressions of this car are going to be once it hits the track anyway are going to be really important because you've got that element of um, Red Bull having made slow starts in previous years and in theory this is their best chance of avoiding that trap because there's so much carryover from from last year and and they did end last year looking genuinely good obviously ed you pointed out one of the elements against that which is the lack of development mercedes did last year and their focus would have been on 2021 early and the but the and the fact that there is there there are these aero rule changes does it does create that window for if red bull just isn't quite just at this moment, Rebel isn't quite good enough to just use wind tunnel and CFD to judge rule changes properly. If there is this co- this consistent correlation problem, then that is a that is a window for Rebel to get caught out. And then if they then spend half a dozen races at the start of the year, having not quite recaptured as much downforce as say Mercedes has, then we're just going to be back in the same situation as last year, aren't we? So that that's why. That's why I'm cur- I really am curious to see sort of whether there is anything extra to spot on the shakedown car and obviously in, in, in testing as well. What I've seen, the limited amount that we've seen on this launch car, you would say is it, 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 it has to be the launch car because I don't think Red Bull were so good by the end of last year that they can afford to do minor updates on the RB16 and expect to challenge Mercedes this year. So there has to be more. There has to be more to come. And, you know, we're not naive enough to sit here and say, this is definitely the definitive version. What we've seen today is what they're going to race in Bahrain with. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have expectations for exactly what, how much extra new is going to, is, is going to be seen. And we'll get the first glimpse of that with, with the, with, with the shakedown car. I think maybe it might, maybe it won't be dramatically different and testing will be the first proper variant. But yeah, I think, uh, I think first impressions are going to be are going to be telling whether that's you know what the drivers are saying about how it feels what what Perez is saying versus a car that looked incredibly stable last year versus if you compare the racing point last year to the Red Bull one car was clearly sort of a bit more better sorted than than the other or less punishing shall we say <clears throat> and also yeah how well have they judged or re- recovered performance in the new aero rules so there's a lot riding I think on the next you know, we've still got a few weeks yet, haven't we, for the first race? But it's, it feels like crunch time already for for Red Bull season, and not just their hopes, but all of ours. Because as Gary said earlier, we just want to see the two teams do a good job and actually have a proper fight. Who cares who wins? But oh, I don't know if I want to sit through another season of uh, knowing by the third race that Hamilton's got the title in the bag. Yeah, what you need to look at there, Scott, is though you know Red Bull will have a huge amount of GPS data from the end of last season, I suppose. And if they can look at it and say, okay, well, we were, you know, the last couple of three races, we were actually quicker than Mercedes through these medium speed corners, through these fast corners, and on the same par through the uh, same speed through the slower corners, 
and the acceleration wasn't there and stuff. They know where they're heading. You know, they know that that, that Honda uh, needed to do a better job. I think Honda knew they needed to do a better job. They weren't bad last year, but they weren't they weren't good. So it's a, it's a case of identifying your problem and fixing it. You know, you can you can spend all your time trying to make the car better through fast corners, and actually you're as good as anybody, or even better. So you need to make sure that you're actually using your energies correctly on the right stuff. So I would imagine there's a bit of a bit of that going on as well, and uh, maybe that's why Honda have sort of clicked uh, to actually sort of joining the club now and actually buying into the fact they need to do a better job. Because when we had the uh, the Honda engine in 1998, the car, you know, we started the season, it was a bit like Red Bull. The car could be quick in one lap, but then it, it deteriorated quite quickly. The, the, the feeling of it for the driver, the driver didn't quite know what was going on. So the car itself had a problem. Um, and with new tyres and good grip, it was good. But also on top of that, we had the Honda engine, which was way down on par. But at that point in time, they believed it was equal to anything else. And it took to about risk four or five, I think it was, or six, before we actually convinced them that they needed to they needed to realise it wasn't. Um, and once they did, I mean, it was just like, you know, it was like a train of stuff coming from Japan that made it better. So they, they have the capability. It's sometimes a realis- realisation of it that is hard to, to come by. And that's why I said earlier that, you know, the Honda management seemed to do a good job in recognising that they're part of a race team now called Red Bull, and they need to sort of buy into the fact that these this is the data that's being shown to us, and we do have a problem. So you you have to make sure that you, as I say, spend your energies on the areas that can take you forward. And I'm pretty sure that Honda will needed to make a fairly decent step. And by all the noises they're making, I think they uh, they have bought into that now and will will do that. What I'm really interested to see is if we get our hope, which is basically from a neutral perspective, you just want a battle with two teams at the front. If we have that, let's say it goes tooth and nail all the way down to Abu Dhabi. It also brings in the added dimension that they've got the 2022 car to work on. Obviously, there's a cost cap going on. There's also the limit of the aerodynamic testing with the sliding scale. So if you won the championship last year, as Mercedes did, you get the least wind tunnel uh, CFD aero testing time. So it could create a real headache and just add an extra dimension that also impacts the 22 season, which is why kind of almost feels now like we're hoping against hope after the pattern being so consistent, but you can't blame everyone for, for hoping it does happen. Now, the, the problem we have with the 2022 season, I suppose, is the big teams are, are at this point in time big enough to have sort of two programmes going. So let's say Ferrari and, or let's say um, Red Bull and Mercedes are fighting. Uh, it's the one that decides they need to keep fighting to the end, to the better end. Um, that's that's going to obviously come out winning in 2021. And that means 2022 could suffer. And, that, and that's really why Red Bull have got to hit the ground running because they can't afford to let Mercedes get away too far and then make those decisions for 2022 too early. Because if the competition's tough from the beginning and they're sort of uh, nicking points from each other, then that those decisions will have to genuinely be made. Do we want to do 2021 correctly and win the championship? Or do we want to just sort of keep our fingers crossed and hope and if the points difference between those two teams aren't that big, that decision is going to be that decision is going to be a very big decision. Well, Scott, to, to wrap up, let's get into predictions. We've kind of talked down the expectations that Red Bull is going to be right there with Mercedes, and it could be the same again in previous podcasts and a little bit on this podcast. But based on the vast amount of information from those two launch images that you've uh, you've been able to study, what do you reckon? 
Um, I think it, I sort of touched on it before, I think it hinges on how much change I see in the uh, with the shakedown and, and, and at testing because um, I just don't quite have the same faith in Red Bull as I do Mercedes to have clawed back a massive amount of uh, performance from, from what they've lost with the, the changes at the rear of the car. Um, and as much as I like the guys at Honda and I, I, I am encouraged by this change in mindset where they've been so predominantly conservative and careful with not introducing too much performance-based upgrades for fear of compromising reliability. They do seem to have gone all out with this one. The, there just isn't quite that same level of a, of assurance historically as there is with Mercedes. I've got... I've basically got no reason to doubt why Mercedes won't be smashing the changes that are in place for this year and improving on what was the best all-round car last year. I do have an element of doubt that Red Bull can do quite as as good a job. What I am optimistic for is that I don't think they'll start the season as far behind as they have done in, in, in the past. So that gives me a little bit more encouragement for the season as a whole, even if Red Bull does start on the back foot slightly. I'd agree with you 100% there, Scott. I think, you know, as far as the chassis is concerned, the detail of it, the devil's in the detail. A lot of that detail we haven't seen yet, but it, you can, you know, you can find two, three, four percent of downforce just by things that you can't see. Um, you know, you need to look at drawings of them, small, small details. And for me, the big thing that will make a difference, and we know that Mercedes have been dominant since 2014 with this hybrid regulation, is the, the, the chassis to gearbox spacer. You know, if Honda have done what they, they talk about, then I think we can have a, a, a good season. But I think as far as the chassis is concerned, because it's a carryover, Red Bull won't start behind the, the eight ball as such. So they'll actually be able to come out shooting, out, out running immediately and uh, hopefully score big points in the first few races. Yeah, I think everyone's on roughly the same page when it comes to that. But we can hope that there's still still some questions to be answered when it comes to this. And of course, there's not a great deal of pre-season testing, just the three days in Bahrain next month. And hopefully later in the week, we'll get a proper look at the car when it runs in the shakedown. And we'll start to hear a little bit more from the people behind the car as well, which is always revealing. Thanks very much, Scott Mitchell and Gary Anderson. Do head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen loads to read there from Scott and Gary and Mark Hughes as well. Check out all of our podcasts, including sister title, Bring Back V10s, which tells classic F1 stories. If you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to leave a review on your podcast platform of choice, as that will make us all very appreciative. And also check out our YouTube channel, Just Search for the Race. And every time there's an F1 car launched, we're going to be here with an in-depth look at it on the podcast. So we'll be back soon with more from F1 launch season. <laughs> 